Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. But you know what? I'm not asking for their bread. I'm just, I'm willing to take a crumb. Man, what a heart for the Lord, and what a heart of humility. And I wonder how many times people, maybe even us, have gone and asked something of the Lord, and He doesn't come through or doesn't answer in the way they're thinking He should. And then they're like, the Lord just let me down. The Lord's unfaithful. The Lord's not, didn't keep His promise. Today we finish the message, A Faith the Lord Rewards. We take up in Matthew 15, starting in verse 22, and we find out how Jesus will reward the great faith of the Canaanite woman seeking healing for her daughter. We'll also look into Jesus' unusual reaction to her as we understand what Jesus was up to. So let's listen in. As she came saying, have mercy on me, catch that, mercy on me. It was mercy to her because her daughter was so loved by her and, and so suffering as a result of the possession of the demons. Well, the Lord, she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, a messianic title, acknowledging that, yes, he's the Jews' savior, the Jews' messiah, but, but she being a Gentile, she still felt this man will meet my need touch my life, make the difference. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he, first of all, we read there in verse 23, answered her not a word. Now, I pondered that for a while because I've been in situations, and probably most of you have, where you cry out to the Lord and it just seems like nothing's happening. He's not answering. You don't, you don't know what he's going to do. You know what you're hoping and wanting him to do. And it just seems like heaven is silent. But you need to know that God is always listening. And if he hears our prayers, he's promised he'll answer those petitions. He'll deal with those issues. And so what's going on? Well, I began to look back through the Old Testament and through the New and, and I, found a whole lot of places where people were crying out to the Lord, petitioning the Lord for something the Lord absolutely intended to do for them. Abraham cries out for a son. God, you've promised to make me a mighty nation. Where is it? I don't even have a kid. Five years, ten years. The time is going by. Still no child. And so what happens is God delays sometimes for his own reasons for his own purposes. Sometimes we can make sense of it. Other times we never get it. But he delays because he's doing something that we're unaware of, that we can't really see, that we're not making sense of. You know, when he got word that Jesus, that is, that Lazarus, his friend, was desperately ill at the point of death, he intentionally delayed four days. Now, when he finally gets to the gravesite of Lazarus, both Mary and Martha come out and say, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. You see, it's not really an accusation. It's words of faith. But they're saying, hey, if you'd made it, if you'd gotten here, they didn't know what the delay was or why he wasn't there sooner. Well, listen, Jesus could have just spoken the word and healed that, that, that guy from a distance. He intentionally let Lazarus die. Now, from a human perspective, if you and I were there, if we were friends of Mary and Martha, and we knew Jesus could have gotten there and he could have healed Lazarus, we would think, man, what's wrong? Doesn't he really love them? Doesn't he really care? Doesn't he know the grief and the agony and the sorrow of losing your brother? 
Yeah, he understood it all. He related to it. But he let Lazarus die so that he could come and raise him from the dead. And if we were there and saw that, we'd say, that's perfect. That's amazing. I mean, how much better raised from the dead than just raised from the bed? I mean, he was sick and now he's, he's resurrected. I mean, a greater miracle, a greater demonstration of Jesus' life-transforming power. And no one on the other side of resurrection is going to say, why did you let me go through all that, Lord? We say that down here, don't we? Lord, why aren't you answering? Why are you allowing this suffering? Why are you letting us go through this? And if silent, well, if heaven seems silent, know this, the Lord is listening and the Lord's going to answer. And here's another thing. He's going to do the right thing. He's going to do the best thing. You can pray, Lord, not my will but yours, and be absolutely sure his will will be better than anything you could have thought of in the first place. And for the things I can't make sense of, and there are many, for those things that happen in our lives and in the lives of our family and friends and in our fellowship, there are things that I just shake my head and I say, Lord, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. But I don't have to get it. When I'm confronted with things I don't understand, I fall back on what I do understand. And I understand that God is perfect. And everything he does is perfect. And his timetable is perfect. And his works are perfect. And so she comes and she's stressed. She comes and she's heartbroken. And she cries out and Jesus is silent. Now what happens is we begin to see her faith. And the title of this message, by the way, I don't think I mentioned, A Faith the Lord Rewards. We're going to see that she has real faith and it's rightly placed, but it's a developing faith like all of ours. And Jesus is going to draw her out. He is going to demonstrate for his disciples, though he was just rejected by the religious leaders, that there are people, Jew and Gentile, that exercise real faith in him and are rewarded accordingly. Now, The Lord always rewards those who come to him in faith. He always rewards those who come to him in faith. And there are three things about her faith that I want you to see. And and hopefully, your faith will, you will experience these same realities in, in your exercising of faith. First of all, I want you to see her faith was a focused faith. Her faith was in him. She came to him, Lord, son of David. And and when he was silent and the disciples tried to rebuke her, he rebuffed her with this silence. The disciples rebuked her publicly. Send her away. She cries out after us. And then he says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she came and worshipped him saying, Lord, Help me. Now, a couple things. Her faith was focused. It's so important. The Bible says he who comes to God must believe that he is. Is what? Is God. That he is the true and living God. And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So she comes believing he's the Lord. She meets the first criteria. And then she absolutely believes that he is going to reward her for seeking him, for exercising faith in him. She meets both criteria, but there's not immediate answer. She comes and she worships. Now, here's why this is so critical, that our faith is focused on Jesus. 
He is the author and finisher of our faith. And there are a lot of people today who have faith in something or someone besides the Lord. There's a whole movement. It's been about 30 years now, I think, it's since it resurfaced. It's been around. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said, and he said that a long time ago. But the whole word faith movement, and if you're unfamiliar with it, it's basically faith in words. The idea being, if you get the right words, you get the right phrase, you say it right, God is going to answer your prayer and give you what you want. Now, critics of the word faith movement came up with some, well, not really the nicest ways to describe the whole thing. It was sort of the, you know, name it and claim it or blab it and grab it, probably worse to say, but... But you get the sense that there's sort of a polarization when we begin to talk about word faith, especially among conservative Christians. And here's why. It's not really faith in the Lord that they're teaching and talking about. It's faith in words. And it's a real problem if you're a brand new Christian because you don't know what to pray, you see. But, but here's something you can pray, and I guarantee God will answer. Help me. Be merciful to me. See, it's not the words you say. It's the heart crying out to the Lord. And if, if you think, well, I got to memorize certain prayers or I got to memorize certain things or I got to say it just right. What happens when you pray and Jesus is silent? Well, then you think, well, I didn't pray it right. I didn't get the right formula. I didn't get the right words. But faith in words is superstition, you see. It's no different than those people doing hocus pocus or abracadabra or open sesame to say in Jesus' name like those are magic words. It's in his nature, in his character, in accordance with his will that we're to pray. And when I'm praying in faith, I'm praying that he'll be faithful because I'm exercising faith in a faithful God. It's not my words. And I found my most effective prayers to just be Lord, have mercy. Help me. Help them. God, please, just do something here. Why? Because it's real. It's heartfelt. Not, oh, Lord, you who are omniscient and you're in heaven and you can do all things. And he's like, why are you talking like that? And, and like, well, I pray this way because this is part of the whole way we pray to get you to answer. And why? I wonder why people would pray a way different than they would talk to anyone else. I, I think we need to show the Lord respect. Absolutely. It's our Father who art in heaven. Yes. But there needs to be that understanding that because He's our loving Father, He's saying, come, come. Come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. And so if you're in a season, if you're going through something, if you're suffering or your children are suffering or your parents or your spouse or anyone you love and you come and people are saying, well, you've been praying and friends say, well, you just didn't pray right. So well, what's the right prayer? I mean, listen, it's not the words you pray. It's the focus It is on the person you are addressing. He is a faithful God. There's also faith in faith. The idea being it's it's like... If I really believe it, he'll have to do it. But but all sorts of people are deluded. I mean, everyone has a measure of faith. I don't know if you're aware of that. It has been given to every one of us a measure of faith. And we choose where we place that faith. Now, my faith is in God. I know he can do anything. And I know he's gracious and he's merciful and all-powerful. All of that's absolute. So, if I petition him and he's silent... I know he's doing something. I just don't know what it is. And if I petition him and he rebuffs me, well, I know that he's doing the right thing. 
But when I petition him and he answers me, I know it's not because I had the words right or, or because I have faith in my faith. No, it, it's, it's not faith in faith. I receive because I'm praying to him. And that's why she's going to receive. It was the focus, not on words, not on the faith, but on the Lord. There's also a misunderstanding among some that if you just have enough faith, intense faith, sincere faith, sort of like work up, work it up, that kind of faith, that God will have to answer. But, but the bottom line is, God is already wanting to answer. We don't have to twist his arm or, or, or talk him into it. And it's not how sincere, oh, I, I do believe you need to be sincere in your faith, but we can be so sincere that we become insincere, that the focus is on, well, I, I really meant it when I prayed, why didn't he answer? I was really serious, I, I would have done my part if he would have done... We're not making deals with God here. We're petitioning the almighty God, creator of heaven and the earth, savior of mankind. And we come as she did, eyes focused on him, a focused faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the scripture says. The second thing in, regarding, in regards to her faith is she had a humble faith. Now, I think that's something we want to make sure of. We're petitioning the Lord and we realize he is the Lord and we're simply his creation, and now his children, if you're born again, and his servants. She worshipped him and said, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. There were no demands. There were no commands. There's no, I have it figured out, and you've got to do it. Now, I, I realize she's a Gentile, but even Jews couldn't demand of the Lord and have it happen. Even Jesus prayed, if there's any other way, let this cup pass, but not my will, but yours be done. That's God the Son praying, Father, if there's another way than the cross for mankind to be saved, let's go that route. But he says, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Listen, we just need to submit to the Father's will. Always in prayer. We need to know he's loving. We need to trust him. So it's a focused faith. It's a humble faith. And then, and then it's a persistent faith. And, and I do think we falter here. Sometimes heaven's silent and we just give up. But Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. Now remember, he was teaching his disciples and he's been ministering to his people, but he's seen a lot of unbelief. He's seen a lot of rejection and his disciples are seeing it too. Now they get to see somebody who for all intents and purposes shouldn't even be at the feet of Jesus. She's a Gentile. She's a Canaanite. She's a woman. She's an outcast. But Here's the deal. She is at the feet of Jesus and she is calling him Lord and she is worshiping him and she's pleading, Lord, help me. He said, ask, seek and knock. That's what she was doing. What's his promise? Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks will find. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Here it's fleshed out for us. It's not just a principle. It, it's, it's a lifestyle pursuing him, trusting him, petitioning him. He answered and said, and for some this will be troubling, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now if you've wondered how could Jesus call her a dog or her daughter a dog, just know that that's what Jews call Gentiles. It's not that Jesus is coming down to the crassness of their description. He doesn't use the word ordinarily used by Jews for dogs. Sort of a, a little play on words. It's almost like he's... Well, toying with her in a way and in a sense, because 
Jews called Gentiles dogs, but they used a word that meant scavengers, those dogs that were out in the street, dangerous and, and you know, deadly in a pack. He, he uses a word that speaks of the, the little puppy at home, a, a pet. And he says, look, you don't give the children's food to the pets. And I want you to see, and this is something else wonderful about her faith, is, is that humbleness that she'd already exhibited. It's here in, in full measure. And she's kind of witty, too. He says, it's not good to throw the children's bread to the little dogs. And she says, true, Lord. Not saying, how could you call me that? Or I can't believe that. Or Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. What's she saying? She's saying, Lord, I get it. You're, you're a Jew and you're here for the Jews. You're their Messiah. But, but you know what? I'm not asking for their bread. I'm just, I'm willing to take a crumb. Man, what a heart for the Lord and what a heart of humility. And I wonder how many times people, maybe even us, have gone and asked something of the Lord and he doesn't come through or doesn't answer in the way they're thinking he should. And then they're like, the Lord just let me down. The Lord's unfaithful. The Lord's not, didn't keep his promise. I know people personally that aren't in fellowship today because their spouse got sick and they prayed and the spouse died. And they're like, well, I can't worship a God that let my wife die. And I'm like, your wife went to heaven. Your wife's with the Lord. It's like now you're turning away from the Lord. It's the Lord did heal your wife. He took her to heaven. She has a perfect healing. She's in eternity. And in, in a twinkling of an eye, in a moment, we're going to end up there too. But, but if you're a person that's grown bitter or maybe things have happened to you and listen, he, he's saying, but this is the way it is. And, and she's like, true, Lord, but even little dogs, even puppies eat crumbs which fall from their master's table. You see, she just accepted who he was. And, and get this, her faith is recognized by him, commended by him, and rewarded by him. Jesus answered and said, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. He commends her. He rewards her. And here's the thing. He was drawing her out. He, he knew that she had faith in him. Why? He can see a heart. He can read a mind. And, and he was in that place to say, I'm going to show you guys, his disciples, what real faith is. And he shows it to him through a Gentile woman. It reminded me of the centurion whose servant was sick. And Jesus said, well, I'll come heal him. He says, oh, you don't have to come. Just speak the word. And Jesus, having healed him, says, listen, I haven't seen such great faith, not in all of Israel. You see, Israel, for the most part, many of them, multitudes of them, were rejecting the Lord in their midst. But wherever hearts were open to him, well, that faith was rewarded. Departing from there, and we conclude this chapter with just a couple incidents, a couple situations. They're going to sound familiar because, well, the very same thing happened only a couple of studies ago. And so we're not going to spend a bunch of time here. We're going to read it, though, and make a couple comments and share in communion. But you're going to see that there's a, a direct application for us today. Jesus, departing from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, went up on the mountain and sat down, and great multitudes came to him, having with them, or having with them those who were lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Now, here's the thing. What he's showing in doing this, and, and you just got to be in the disciples' shoes a little to get it. You know how I worked back there in Israel? You know the compassion I showed on the blind and the lame? 
I'm the same here in Gentile territory. God is the same wherever he goes. And he wanted his disciples to begin to get it, that he was there for all men, to the Jew first, absolutely, and then to the Gentile. And that's how it would always be. But, but here's the thing. Multitudes came, but individuals were healed. And it's possible that someone brought you today and you're going through a struggle mentally or physically or emotionally or spiritually or maybe in all those ways. Morally, it could be anything. But you know what you're going through and you know you're suffering and you know you're struggling and that friend brought you because they know Jesus is the solution to your dilemma. He's the solution to your problems. And he doesn't just have it. He is it. And so you need to see while multitudes are gathered to Jesus, he dealt individually with those who had a real need and expressed that need to him. And so their needs were physical for the most part. Maybe yours is God's able to touch you physically. And maybe you've gotten the diagnosis and it came back bad. You know, the prognosis isn't good. And, and you're like, Lord, help me. Hey, it's a right prayer. It's, he's the right one to petition. And you've got to know he'll do the right thing. And whatever the problem, he's up to it. He's sufficient for it. What was the outcome of all this? The multitude marveled, we read in verse 31, when they saw the mute speaking, the main main hold, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. That's yet one more clue that we're all the way in Gentile territory. They didn't just glorify God. That's what it ordinarily would say. They glorified the God, the God they're only coming to know now, the God they're beginning to see for the first time, the true and living God, the God of Israel. And then Jesus called his disciples, said, I've got compassion on the multitude. They've been with me three days. They have nothing to eat. I want to... Don't want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples, note this, very short memories. I mean, it's 5,000 fed back in Israel. Now they're over here. And it's sort of like, well, this is Gentile land. I don't know, you know. And where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? And Jesus says, and I wonder if he sighed. I, I do that. And Pam's like, why do you do that? But, you know, how many loaves do you have? Maybe Jesus didn't sigh. I know if I was there, I would have been sighing, you know. Okay, we got to do this again. We got to show you again, right? So they said, well, we have seven and a few fish. And he commanded the multitudes to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish. And as he had there in Galilee, he gave thanks. He broke them. He gave them to his disciples and the disciples to the multitudes. And they all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments left. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. They sent away the multitudes, got into a boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Now, what's our Lord doing? He's showing that he is sufficient to meet the need wherever the need is. And his love and his compassion and his willingness to help, it goes beyond our preconceived ideas about God loves his people and blesses his people. Listen, God makes his rain fall on the just and the unjust. God loves all of mankind and his goodness and mercy is extended to all of mankind. You know, there's nothing in this passage to indicate that people were turning to faith in him. It doesn't even say that there was a preaching of the gospel that, though I'm certain there would have been. The point being, he wasn't saying, well, you're not, you're, you're not one of us. I, I can't heal you. 
and I wonder if, if, if we're really getting that, that, that the Lord loves those people that are outside, that are struggling and suffering and, and hurting and wounded. And, and, and yeah, lots of times it's self-inflicted, bad decisions, bad choices, horrible lifestyle choices, but God loves them. And if we think God only does his work in us and through us and for us, then we've really missed the point. He's working in us and for us and through us that the world might see how good he is. One of the many things we can take away from this is the fact that we can have faith that the Lord will answer our prayers without ever being sure how or when he's going to do it. Isaiah 55, 8 tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's great faith in trusting the Lord to answer your prayers, but perhaps even greater faith in trusting him to do it in his way and in his timing, knowing that it could not be done better. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.